You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. This is Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD with Jake Lampert. I'm Brandon Hovick. Last Thursday, as we said, we were down at Delaware Stadium for the season opener between the Blue Hens and the Rhode Island Rams. And Jake, to say it was a disappointment might be a little bit of an understatement. It was a 21-19 loss. We did talk about this last Friday on the Delaware Football Roundup, but for those who might have not caught that episode, give us an outline and overall detailing of your thoughts one week from the day where Delaware dropped their season opener. So a kind of a synopsis in the best way that I can sum it up is Delaware defense did um, its job maybe a little worse than normal, but it, that they did its job. The Delaware offense, pretty much just about what you'd expect from the Delaware offense, but it was the turnovers. It was the silly mistakes that got to us. There was a few touchdowns off fumbles and one off a botched snap. We've talked about this a lot. Don't want to beat the dead horse on the negatives, but we can spin it on the positive end. Kehoe got more confident in the second uh, second half. The defense kind of locked itself down on the first, let up a few uh, costly ones in the second. But the team as a whole, the fan outlook, was great in the first half of that game. Uh, we don't know how long that's going to last based on how the game ended, but there were a lot of fans there. The barn, the new student section looked great. Um, there were positives. And I know we're going to talk about more about Lafayette, which I think is even more of a important game now after the first, especially Absolutely. because of the CAA game. Um, there'll be more to talk about for Lafayette. Yeah, so three turnovers from the Blue Hens, two of them from Kanai Kane, and one over the head of Nick Pritchard, uh, the punter who tried to pick up the ball, ended up getting it knocked back out of his hands again, and Rhode Island scoops it up, scores the first touchdown of the game. But then after that, and Jake, I was telling you before the show, I feel like I've been over this game so many times because we did the game call live, then we did the podcast the next day, and then I actually have a class on Wednesdays where we took all of the game footage and our assignment for the three-hour class was to make it a two-minute highlight package. So I watched the whole game again, and it really does come down to those three turnovers and the dropped pass by Owen Tyler up the sideline. Pat Kehoe hits him with a beautiful pass right in stride, and he drops it, it would have been a touchdown. Without any one of those four plays, just one of them, you still commit three very costly plays, you would have had this win. Uh, But what's disappointing about this is if you want to be where Delaware does, which is a playoff contender, an FCS contender, you can't even put yourself in that position against Rhode Island. Especially against Rhode Island. one of four plays to make the difference. You need to have them so beat that you can make five, six, seven mistakes and still beat them. The fact that they let it go so close, you know, you could easily go back and say, oh, we're just one play away from winning that game. But you should have been five plays ahead. Yeah. And then knocked Rhode Island out of the water. Yeah, I think if this was against, we'll go, let's say, uh, a Stony Brook or a Richmond, it would be a totally different conversation. While incredibly disappointing, would be a totally different conversation. Exactly. That's a great point. Because three turnovers, yeah, you know what? It stinks, but against a good uh, competitive team like a, a Richmond flute, or a Stony like Brook. Like we were right with them. It's a football game. Yeah. But against the 12th out of 12th rated CAA team, Rhode Island, a team that almost across the board was worse than Delaware, except for passing offense, and given that's not the hardest thing to do, this is why we're almost shocked that this happened. And everybody was shocked about this happened. And this wasn't even, um, to put it lightly, that wasn't even the biggest upset of the day with a CAA football team. Yeah. Uh, with Maine um, coming out of 35 to nowhere, 7 over Nor- uh, New Hampshire. Romping New Hampshire. But two upsets. So I guess well, we don't feel that alone that uh, New Hampshire dropped the ball, too. But yeah, like I said, if this was any other team, this would be less disappointing. But because it was 12 out of 12, that's what kind of gets it. The Blue Hens entered the season ranked 15th in the SATS FCS Top 25. 
They fell right out of the top 25 after that game. And I think at this point, you have to push them back maybe two or three rungs in the CAA. If Again, it's it's super early to be doing a ranking like this. But if you want to take where they were in preseason, which was third, you'd probably say they're now fifth or sixth. At it, least. It'd be James Madison one, and then some combination of Elon, Stony Brook, New Hampshire, and then probably Villanova over them, who yep. upset Temple this weekend, yep, nineteen to seventeen. So those are those was that five teams are probably ahead of Delaware, and then you even get into the territory where you you group them with the Maines and the Albanies right. of the world right now in the middle of the conference. But you can't even put them far from Rhode Island because if, Rhode Island just yeah, beat them. If yeah, you're, if you're looking at the record, true. you're like, okay, how can I confidently put an zero and one when team I just saw them over a one and zero team? Yeah. That beat them. True. It, on paper, it makes no sense why Rhode Island should be ahead of us, but football is not played on paper. It's played on turf. Yeah, that's so how you play. That's that's almost as shocking as the fact that Delaware drops two or three spots in our quote-unquote rankings. Right. And again, it's super early. These things are all going to change. And Delaware, as we're going to discuss throughout the show, has a great opportunity in these next two weeks at home to get back on track. They play Lafayette this weekend at 3.30 on the 8th. We'll have coverage here on 91.3 WVUD. And then they play Cornell the following weekend at home again, Saturday, 3.30 start, same thing. Mm-hmm. And you look at those two games before the North Dakota trip, these are two games that are must-win, in my opinion. And they should be wins. These yeah. are two teams that Delaware will be heavily favored against at the same degree or more so than they were to Rhode Island. Yeah, we talked about it before that we were all like, all right, Delaware needs to go two out of three in these first two games. And we were kind of giving the team's benefit of the doubt, saying two and three, but on the, especially the Delaware football roundup. Uh, I said, well, no, I should say the podcast that we did of the show, the pre-recorded, we kind of said it should be three for three. They should be three yeah, and no going to North Dakota State. Um, now there's question marks to believe that are they even going to be two and one going into North Dakota State? They have to be. Um, and I agree with you. They have to be because yeah. this we talk about it again and again. Same as Virginia Tech. This North Dakota State team is good. It's a good uh, morale booster where you're like, all right, it brings you back down to planet Earth after beating these three teams. You're like, all right, we still have competition. We still have football games to play, and you'll be set for your CAA games. Um, but now, if they're not even, if they don't even have a winning record going into North Dakota, that is a huge hit to have to play that team and then go into CAA play. And that's remarkable to think that the conversation a week ago was how high could this team go? And now the conversation is, they cannot be one and two in the first three weeks of the season, right. because then, I mean, then you lose to North Dakota. You're one and three with an open date, and then a game on the road at Richmond, which is not going to be easy. And as we discussed on the Delaware Football Roundup podcast, all of these games against teams in the CAA, where coming into the season you might have too easily said Delaware should win that one, they're all going. They're all going to be difficult. Based on how this game against Rhode Island played out, you can't call a game against Richmond or Albany or Villanova. You can't call any of those games surefire wins. I every call single any game. Every single game the rest of the season is going to be a dogfight. And these next two are the easiest, too. So you have to get these next two. Yeah. Every time that we, uh, I think from this day forward, call a game from Delaware, um, not I don't want to use the word easy win, but a, a sure win for Delaware Every time we say it, it's going to be a sure win for Delaware, asterisk Rhode Island next to it. Because, right. yeah, they, they but should also, be a sure win. But also, anything can happen. But it <laughs> happens. They lost to a, about a sure win as a sure win gets. 
You're listening to Blue Hunt Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. With Jake Lampert, I'm Brandon Halvec. Nick Delaglio is going to be on the show uh, at the end of the hour to talk Delaware versus Lafayette specifically. The Blue Hens, obviously, last week falling 21-19 to to Rhode Island. They start the season 0-1. It's the first time in a long time that they've lost an opener. Uh, they've typically had a cushy game to begin the season, which... Delaware State. Delaware State or Westchester before right. that. Um, but you look around the CAA, and a lot of teams last weekend kind of got their butts handed to them by FBS teams. Right. But one of those teams notwithstanding is Villanova, who beats Temple. Real quick before we go to break, you know, were you surprised to see that result? What are your reactions to it? How does Temple, or excuse me, how does Villanova maybe stack up now against some of these other teams that we talked about a little bit more at the beginning of the CAA season? I think when we talked about Villanova, we understood that it's a competitive team and it will always be a competitive team. I think now that they beat Temple, uh, Temple, uh, Temple's a good football team. They're yeah, a good. They're football not team. a great. Yeah. Team compared to the other FBS teams, but they're an FBS they're an, team. Yeah, and they're a good football they're, team. You know, they're in a higher conference, higher degree of difficulty than the CAS. I think that vaulted them into the conversation of kind of conversation we're having around Rhode Island, where like this team can play, this team can beat any team on any given day. And I think if you're a CAA team, and especially those middle of the pack teams, whether it be a Maine or now maybe even a Delaware, you are fearful about Villanova because they just knocked Temple out. They still have a whole season ahead of them, and for Delaware's sake, Towards their, they have the last game. Uh, Delaware plays Villanova in yeah. the very last game, which very well could be a make or break game, uh, either to make the playoffs, to not make the playoffs, or seeding for playoffs. And you have to play a team that beat Temple in week one, an FBS opponent. That's a tough way to end your season. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Before we get into some of our Twitter reaction, which you can still send in at WVUD Sports, we wanted to cover this deal with the Oakland Raiders and the Chicago Bears that got a lot of attention at the beginning of last week with the Bears acquiring Khalil Mack for two first-round picks, but then also getting back a second-round pick, and a lot of people putting John Gruden in particular under fire for this move, plus the move to drop both of their backup quarterbacks and acquire A.J. McCarron. Jake, your thoughts first on the Khalil Mack deal and its implications for both Oakland and then Chicago. Yeah, there are a lot of players in the NFL that play on the defensive line, um, especially the Eagles, who constantly rotate out, especially last year, a lot of players. They had a lot of fresh legs on defense. But one thing about the NFL is when you have a dominant edge rush, rusher, whether it be your Von Miller, whether it be your J.J. Watt, whether it be your Khalil Mack, you keep them. There is That's very, very hard to find a consistent edge rusher, and especially somebody under the age of 26. He is an all-pro, an all-NFL talent, and for a team to release him, especially um, with the statement of they didn't have the money to give him, uh, you find the money. You find the money to give your superstar, your most dominant player in the past X amount of years, probably since, on the defensive end, probably since Charles Woodson. Since I've been alive. Yeah. Um, implications for the Raiders, that team took a huge hit. I believe their Super Bowl odds, I think it was like, they went from like 50 to 1 to 90 to 1 uh, for the Super Bowl. The Bears went from a hundred to from went from a hundred to one to I think like seventy to one acquiring Khalil Mack. Yeah, I know ESPN took them from twenty four in their power rankings to fifteen. Yeah, that is a significant step. That's what an edge rusher does for you, and especially Khalil Mack. I think the Bears are going to be very good. Their defense, especially with another familiar name around the Delaware household with uh, Woodson back there too, I think it'll be great. Uh, I think Chicago is going to be fun, and it's going to be fun to watch, especially on the defensive end. Yeah, I'm with you. Just. 
in an overall sense of from a philosophical standpoint, aren't guys like Khalil Mack the ones you're trying to get with those first-round picks? I know yeah. you get two of them back, but how often does a team hit on a first-round pick and have it be at a position that's as valuable as edge rusher? That's probably, at this point, the second most important position in football behind yeah. quarterback, obviously. You could mm-hmm. argue left tackle, um, but outside of that, really, I mean, that is having an edge rusher is probably the second biggest thing that you could have to change the outcome of the game right. uh, from a single player, at least. And Cleo Mack does that. He He's a guy that you get only in the top five, only maybe in the top ten, and you have to hit on it. And these two first-round picks are going to be mid-to-late first-round picks from the Bears. And Oakland hasn't had a great history of hitting on these guys. They hit on Cleo Mack, they hit on Derek Carr in the second round, and they really haven't had a great draft pick since. Right. Amari Cooper, I think guess the book is still out on him, yep. whether that pick will turn out. But I can't think of anybody else on that team where you're like, oh, that was a great find in the first or second round. So I don't have a lot of faith in them to use these picks effectively. And if you're Chicago, I love it. I mean, this 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 is transforms your defense between him and Leonard Floyd. They have two very, very good pass rushers. Uh, it puts them into the conversation for a wild card. It puts them into oh, yeah. that conversation. And uh, a lot of the buzz surrounded uh, the... The jokes rolled in. Obviously, you mm-hmm. saw the contract of Gruden. It was like you can give this coach a hundred million, but you can't give your best player. Yeah, and those two things. I mean, don't correlate too much. Yeah, but the coach's salary doesn't factor into the the cap. And but. there was the one where uh, the video of Aaron Rodgers watching on the MacBook Pro, and then he throws it down. And he screams <laughs> a few expletives, and it was like. Uh, when Aaron Rodgers woke up this morning and saw Khalil Mack move his to his collarbone started to hurt a little yeah, bit because <laughs> he has to play him twice during the year. I'm excited to watch. I think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. I don't know if the Bears and the Raiders play each other. Be interesting to check to see if they go up against each other and where because that's going to be a bloodbath for both teams. Are you listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD? I'm Brandon Halvek with Jake Lampert. And now we're taking your reaction from Twitter. We mentioned this off the top of the show, but if you have Hot takes. This week, we're taking them for the NFL. So send us your hot take from the NFL to at WVUD Sports on Twitter, and you'll have a chance for us to read it on air and respond to it live on the air. Uh, we've, we've briefly looked these over just to get a, a list down for us, but we haven't discussed them with each other at all yet. Um, we have a lot of a lot of good takes in from both guys that we know and some people that we don't, so we're happy to get reaction from anybody. Uh, so again, that's at WVUD Sports. Send it in throughout the show. We're going to respond to a bunch of them here and then a few more in the second hour. The The first one comes actually from our guest that's going to join us in a little bit, Nick Delaglio, who says Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson will win the MVP. Your thoughts, Jake? I'm going to totally throw that one out the window, uh, and that's because assuming – trends continue, it'll be a quarterback one award. Um, That means Deshaun Watson, who has a very small sample size of NFL playing time, I believe it was seven games. Seven games, yeah. Has to beat out... Seven starts, eight games. Seven starts. Has to beat out the names like your Tom Brady's, your Aaron Rodgers, your Drew Brees, your Ben If Carson Wentz comes back healthy, Carson Wentz. With a seven-game sample size, we asked for your hot take. This is a hot take. This is hot. I don't think it has any um, validity to it because of the small sample size and because of the names he just has to beat out. Yeah, do you want to maybe give these like like a fire emoji rating or a, or a pepper rating, maybe like one to three or one to five? 
we can go one to five. One to five. Five being the hottest, most outrageous take, uh, and one being one that might actually be a true take, might actually be something real. Um, I think I'm I'm floating around three or four with this. This is hot. I I like the direction where this is going. I do think Deshaun Watson's going to have a big year, especially if he can stay healthy. But you mentioned all those names. The, those are tough names to take down. Um, I don't I don't think he quite gets to that level yet. Cool. The the second one is from at Kazoo Moose, who says the Bears, which we we're just talking about with Cleo Mack, will win the NFC North. Again, that division, Minnesota, Green Bay, and Detroit. I like this. I think it's really a reasonable uh, take. I'm going to give this one a three. Uh, on the, so I'm going to say it's a, it's a good, the solid, hot take. But I think it's not viable because of one name, and that one name is Aaron Rodgers. That in that division, I think that the Bears can very well be the second-best team. They can fight with a wild-card spot. But you are not going to beat a health. Last time Aaron Rodgers came back from a collarbone, he won the MVP. Aaron Rodgers comes back from a collarbone injury now. Chip on his shoulder. A lot of buzz surrounding him and that team. Like they said, like he said a few years ago, I'm going to run the table. I think I'll run the table from game one. I don't know if I can get behind that. Are you at all concerned with the weapons that are around Rodgers right now? Because when he did go in that MVP. You had Jordy Nelson, you had Randall Cobb, you had probably a better running game than they have now. Do you think that you know Devontae Adams and older Randall Cobb, do you think that's enough for Aaron Rodgers to work with? Yeah, and almost the same as a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees. It doesn't really matter who's out on the field with him. I mean, he made uh, Jared Cook like a superstar tight end against the that, Cowboys. That play against the yeah, Cowboys he, at the end of the game. He made game. him look like the best <laughs> tight end in the league. So I'm not concerned about the weapons. There's no other person in the NFL that has more double-digit touchdown seasons or consecutive double-digit touchdown seasons than Devontae Adams. So that, but I do like what you said about his age. He's a little old. He's a little on the old side, wide receiver-wise. Not old as in 35, 40 years old, but old on the wide receiver curve. Yeah, the receivers Um, are getting a little old. Can he hold that large share of targets? Maybe not, but he has more than enough weapons. I like the direction. Again, this take is from at Kazoo Moose. Bears will win the NFC North. Again, I like where this is going. I said a moment ago, though, when we were talking about Cleo Mack, that, that that trade really helps them, but it helps them from outside the pack to wildcard conversation. This team is not in the conversation to win the NFC North, in my opinion, because not only do you have Green Bay there, but you have two other really good teams. I really like the Detroit Lions, I think, more than others. Matthew Stafford is a very consistent quarterback year of the year, and the defense is getting better. The Vikings, they're going to be looked at by a lot of people as the favorite in the division, which I don't agree with. I think they're a little bit overrated, but you can't deny that they they have to be in this mix too, between Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, a healthy Dalvin Cook. They have the weapons offensively, and last year they rated as one of the best defenses in the NFC. So, so to me, they still have to be probably above the Bears, too. So I think this is maybe maybe a three. You know, it's it's hot. It's not crazy hot, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think the highest they could probably get is second in this division, and then maybe third is enough to get the second wild card, because this is going to be a strong division. I mean, we saw it in the NFC South. The, the third yeah, and that's, team got the that wild to card. me is going to be the other division that is in the wild card hunt, whoever right. doesn't win that one. Yep. On to the next one. This one from another WVUD um, member from Josh Deal. And he At says, Delaware, Josh. He says, Le'Veon Bell will not be a Pittsburgh Steeler 
come week six. So, so give me and our listeners the latest on this Bell situation, because I've tried to follow it, but I don't know the particulars of what he last said. So they're... The Pittsburgh Steelers announced that they will sign Le'Veon Bell under a franchise tag, and Le'Veon Bell does not right. want a franchise for tag. this second straight year. For the second straight year, Le'Veon Bell wants a contract. He wants big money because he feels like he deserves it, and I think he does. With that being said, the Steelers have not agreed, and Bell said it's contract or I don't play. And right now, where we're standing at is I don't play. Uh, it's almost guaranteed he does not show up Week One and will not play and will not report for the Week One game against the Cleveland Browns. And we don't know how many more games he's going to continue. And the Steelers might be in a position where they have to realize we have a superstar player. We might as well just move him away, get the quote-unquote toxicity out, and let Connors do the work in the backfield and live with it. So that's the update on the Bell situation. That's a tough situation. I mean, do you do you trade him if you're Pittsburgh, knowing that his trade value is at an all-time low because it would be in a situation where he was refusing to play for you. Do you trade him for a... I mean, we're, we're talking about probably like a third or a fourth round pick. I mean, the the Bears, or excuse me, the Browns traded a third for a healthy Tyrod Taylor, who's right. a quarterback. Much more valuable position, obviously, than running back. So, you, I mean, were you talking third, fourth, fifth round pick for Le'Veon Bell? Which sounds absolutely outrageous that you're going to give a fourth round pick for like that sounds, perhaps the best offensive right, talent though, in the right? NFL. But when you look at it, he's older. He wants a, and he's not going to play for you unless you give him a contract, right? Like if 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 you're the Miami Dolphins and you trade a fourth for him, and then you say, "Yeah, Le'Veon, we're not going to give you a contract either." Why is he going to play for you? Right. You have to give him a big deal. And what's the last team that won a Super Bowl with a running back making eight, nine, ten million dollars? They don't. That's not how you construct a championship roster. So your take on will Le'Veon Bell be a Steeler? Come week six. I'm starting to think that they're going to have to. I mean, it, he might, if it, they're either going to move him or he's still going to be a Steeler and he's not going to be playing. That's what I'm coming around to because at this point, if the Steelers wanted him long term, they would have signed him by now. They're not going to sign him long term. Nothing's going to change on that front. His, his value is only going to go down to them the more games that he sits out. So to me, he, the two options are they trade him before the deadline where he just doesn't play. So either way, I don't think he sees the field for the Steelers by week six. So I, that's, I guess, a one, if I agree with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, second, The next one, and I love this take already, at Holly Kodiak. Did I say that right? Holy Kodak. At Holy, why is there an I in Kodak? I believe that's how it's spelled. You know what? Besides the point. All right, at Holly, you know who you are. The Eagles are the best team in the NFL by a wide margin, and nobody wants to talk about it because they are the Eagles. I agree. I think I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna give you the mic on that. That's your t- is that is that all that's your take right there that you agree? Yeah, it's, that's a that's a one. That's yeah, a one. I'm gonna go a little more. I think I'm gonna go to a three or a four. Um, because I like that nobody wants to talk about it. But. Right. Uh, because the Eagles have had a lot of injuries and yeah they uh, were a concrete all around football team last year. They have. A good defense. I don't think it's going to be as good as last year, but they have a good defense because they moved around a lot of players. I don't think their offense is going to be as good, but they're going to have, hopefully, all arrows pointing towards a healthy Carson Wentz, which is about as good as you're going to get if you're an Eagles fan. I don't think they're the best team in the NFL, and even if they are, it's not by a wide margin. But I do agree with the point that no one's saying anything because it's the Eagles. They're, They're coming off their first Super Bowl win. Everyone's still fly Eagles, fly in it. And nobody wants to talk about it because they talked about it so much that... 
they're like, oh, it's the Eagles? Forget it. We'll go to the next team. Well, and to me, I feel like, yes, they've been talked about a lot, and particularly in this area, because obviously, you know, Philadelphia market, it's a huge deal that they won. But if you think nationally, I don't think they've been talked about enough for a Super Bowl champion team. They were talked about in February and March, but coming through to all the season preview stuff, I don't know why more people aren't talking about them as one of the best teams in the NFC. I mean, they have far more to show for themselves than the Los Angeles Rams or the Atlanta Falcons or the Minnesota Vikings who they crushed in the NFC Conference Championship game. All these teams that we're talking about in the NFC above them. And I think it's because they're not flashy, they're not new. It's going to be the same core as it was last year. But that's fine because that team went and won a Super Bowl. And that team did it without their starting quarterback, without their starting left tackle, without their starting middle linebacker, without their special teams ace, without their kicker to begin the year, without Darren Sproles. The list goes on. So they're only going to be as good or better. Now, we're going to talk about week one later. I do think this team could struggle out of the gates because of these injuries. We're talking about Carson Wentz, Alshon Jeffrey, Brandon Graham. But when we get down to it at the end of the season, if they're healthy, and even if they're not, because they're one of the deepest teams in this league, we should be talking about them as still the best team, at least in the NFC by a wide margin, and maybe in the NFL. We'll take one more. We're doing Twitter reaction. This is the first time we're doing it here on Blue Hen Sports Cage with Jake Lampert on Brandon Halbeck. Send in your NFL hot takes to at WVUD Sports for a chance to for us to review them and talk about them on the air. We're doing this in the first hour and a little bit later on in the second hour of our show. Taking one more before the break. It comes from a name you might have heard of before. At Teddy Gullman says, the Chargers will win the AFC. Yeah. Jake, I just I just went on my high box. I'll hand this one to you. Your thoughts on the Chargers winning, not not the AFC South, the AFC as a conference. Yeah, I'm going to crank this up to a five on the hot take meter. I think the Chargers are a great football team. But when you look at it, there is this is a Chargers team that year in, year out, they lose at least one superstar player to injury, whether it be Keenan Allen this year was Logan Verrett. They're almost cornerstone defensive player not named Bosa. Um, Even Bosa started the year slow a couple years ago. Uh, Phillip Rivers has been almost under the radar good because he has put up 4,000-yard passing yards to a depleted wide receiver core. But to say they're going to win the entire AFC, they have to get through the Patriots. They have to get through the Steelers. They have to get through the Jaguars. Even if that's the team out of the South Division, which we'll definitely talk about later— there's a lot of good teams that I think, even if that team is at full health, they're just not there yet to become an AFC, even in their own division, champion, let alone AFC as a whole. Do you have a meter pick? Five. One to five? Five. This is hot. This is as hot. very hot. So, I, there, I don't, I don't you even, can't get hotter than this? Is that what you're saying? I'm not even too sure they win their division, let alone become the be the AFC champions. They're going to win the AFC as a whole. I don't even think they win. I'll give this I'm going to give this a 4. I think it's in that that Deshaun Watson wins the MVP area where it's like they're going to be better than they have been, but they're not to this level yet. It's too early. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. And now joining us is Nick. I'm going to hold off on the last name because last week you were here in our place with Doug Barron and Josh Deal. And they pronounce your last name Delagio, and immediately Jake and I were like, "Have we been calling him the wrong name for a year?" And then we talked to Josh afterward, and Josh was like, "Yeah, I never met Nick, so I, Doug said that, and I just assumed his last name was Delagio." We've been saying Nick Delaglio for a while. Nick, 
can you set the the record straight here to start off the show? The last name is Delaglio. Delaglio, it is. The funny thing is that, like halfway through the show, when you guys texted last week and they were like, "You're saying it wrong," I said the Doug or me and Josh said the Doug. It's Delaglio. Then we come back and uh, Doug's like, "It's Delaglio," and then he said it wrong again. I mean, if you start it with Delaglio, you run with it. Yeah, that, that, that was my yeah. At that point, it was like cause but the at whole the same show, time. At the same time, say the name right. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. All right, so Nick Delaglio joins us now to talk Delaware football. Jake and Nick will be on the call this weekend. 3.30 kickoff. Their pregame will start at 3.15 right here on 91.3 WVUD. We're going to talk a lot about Lafayette, but first, before we do that, Nick, just quickly give us your thoughts on last week's game against Rhode Island. Obviously, a disappointing loss for the Hens, 21-19, but what, what did you take out of that game? What are your takeaways? I think Delaware was definitely the better team there, talent-wise, and as a full team. I think the only thing that really kind of bit them in the butt was that they had numerous turnovers. Obviously, the one that uh, the the punt, the mm-hmm. botch snap on the punt went over their head, and just like that, you give uh, Rhode Island a scoop and score from I think it was from two yards out. Um, and then obviously, twenty-one nineteen, they're driving down, and then Kenai Kane obviously he fumbles when they were like I think they were on URI's forty-yard line, so they were going yep. in setting up a possible potential game-winning field goal with about four minutes left. So my takeaway from that is just I think if they play better football, obviously like the fundamentals-wise, not turning the ball over. And they also dropped a couple passes, I think, that kind of hurt them. But one thing that I did take away, I love how Kehoe played. I think he played really good for his first game. He was, I think, 12 for 22. And like I said, some of those balls were dropped, so it could have been even better. But I just kept rewatching it, both his touchdown passes, and I absolutely loved how he was in the pocket there. He was very calm. And I think that was one of the biggest takeaways coming out of the game, even though they lost. Last week when you guys picked records in here, you were were you eight wins? I was eight and three, yeah. Uh, so so does that change with that loss to Rhode Island? <sighs> I don't think so, because when I said eight and three, I knew that there'd probably be two, you know, North Dakota State and Richmond. I think I had his losses, and then I threw one more, and as like uh, get like whatever game it could be. So I guess that's the I, one. <laughs> I don't I didn't want it to be that one, but I guess we might have to roll with it. So I'm I'm still gonna stick eight and three though. Jake and I earlier on the show were talking about how these next two weeks are, you know, bordering on must-win territory for the Blue Hens with Lafayette first at home and then Cornell at home and two teams that have not beaten Delaware in quite some time, really since the, they established these series back and forth the last couple of years. I'll go to you first, Jake. Going back to Rhode Island, spinning into Lafayette, biggest things for the Blue Hens to adjust before the game against Lafayette? First thing is duct tape the ball to your hands. Um, you can't have two fumbles, especially your number one workhorse. Um, and it's also, while this might be a bit um, gun jumping, is Kanai Kane going to be the number one workhorse next yeah. week? Yeah. It, it, it's a bit of a gun jump, but at the same time, it, two fumbles, two costly ones, are not helping your case, re- regardless of that. They need to keep the ball safe. But I think the second thing that they need to do is their defense to stiffen up. And that, and that's a lot to ask for a defense that was pretty stiff against Rhode Island for the most part, only 14 points on the offensive end. The other seven was coming, like we talked about, from the botched snap. They need to give up less, especially against a team that is almost across the board worse than URI in Lafayette. You can't give up the pie any more than 10 points as that defense, not because you need to win the game, but because you want to be one of the best defenses. I definitely agree with you there. I think, you know, the turnovers were definitely costly. And Keogh didn't throw an interception. I don't think you can ask anything better from him there. Obviously, the two fumbles from Kane. And one thing you said, stiffing the defense up. 
Uh, Rhode Island did rush for 160 yards, so I guess the only criticism you could say there is, you know, stack the box a little bit more and yeah. keep them more contained, you know, throughout the whole game. Well, that comes to that point in the Rhode Island game with 3.58 on the clock. Rhode Island gets the ball back. Delaware has two timeouts. And that's a situation where, yes, the offense shouldn't have put you there. But if you're the Delaware defense, and we're talking about you as an FCS leading defense, if you will, whatever, you got you to gotta get the ball back for your offense. They got it back to them with 16 seconds. You know Rhode Island is running the ball, and they still were able to do it effectively. So that's a situation to that point, Nick, that you'd love to see them improve where they need to improve heading into these next couple of weeks. And that's a that's a place where last year they were really strong. So it shouldn't you know, we're talking about these four linebackers who are all world. That's a place where they should be strong. Yeah, and another thing that I kind of want to add to that is they did it a lot, but I think they need to use Joe Walker more. Um, historically, when I say you need to use Joe Walker more, if you look past the last few years, using Joe Walker a lot never really ends in the positive direction, but that's at quarterback. Right. Um, what was it, like six touch? Six or seven touchdowns and 12 Doubled or 13 it, yep. interceptions the last couple of years. They targeted Joe Walker, especially that pass in the end zone. That's a catch that pretty much only, on that team at least, that only Joe Walker is going to make. That athleticism to catch, get the foot in, I don't think anyone else on the team is going to make that catch. Whether anyone else in the CAA will make that catch, it was great, but I don't know if it was the most difficult catch I've ever seen. I, I went back, sorry to cut you off, but I went back, like I was saying earlier, watching the game to make that highlight thing for my class. I watched that play like, 15 times because you're mm. trying to get it like cut right. It's a it's an amazing catch. Right. I mean, it happens so quickly, and the way the cornerback was guarding him, it's remarkable that one the foot came down in bounds, but two that he can excuse me that he controlled the ball all the way to the ground. I mean, in real time, it was like mm, I, I thought, kind of thought he got that, and then they go back and they overturn it. And you're like, okay, nice catch by Joe Walker. But for me, watching that over and over again. I was like, man, that I mean, that is a big league catch from a guy who just started playing wide receiver this off season. Right. Like that's that's a pro catch where you yeah. got to get the foot down, you got a guy on you, and you have to be bigger and stronger than him and pull it in. I think you need to draw up one, maybe two more plays for him. Stick him in a slant route. Stick him in a yeah. hook route. Just get that person the ball. Let him do his athletic things. Let him get the first down for you. And I love that you said get him, get him slant, get him stick, and not this double reverse, we're going to pitch it to him in motion yeah, and have why, him run backward. Fancy? You don't get like, fancy with your stars like that. Like set, set it up with, with having him go out on those routes, especially against these teams that you should beat. Line up right at, right man-to-man and have him beat the guy ahead of him. Right. And then when you get down the schedule to these tougher teams, and hopefully they're expecting these more traditional plays, power runs with Kane, they're expecting quick slants and screens to the receivers, that's when you try to manipulate them and get them thinking mixed misdirection. You get them thinking so hard that we have to guard Kanai Kane on the power this way that you can bring Joe Walker in motion and pitch it the opposite way because they're committing so far this way. But they haven't established that yet this year. So you see Jamie Jarman get that one ball and run all the way backwards the other side and right. Joe Walker take that direct snap and fumble it and they mm-hmm. lose eight yards. Like Just get him the ball like you are saying. Let him make plays. Get him stick and slant. Get him short. Get him the ball and let him go do it and beat these guys one-on-one that he should be able to beat against these next two opponents at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's one of those players that if you get him in space, he can definitely make plays. And like Jake said, slants and drag routes and curls, those are the easiest routes for a receiver to run. And then you can make one defender miss, and you don't know what could happen after that. So if you can get him in space, it could definitely be interesting, and he could be explosive for the Delaware offense. This is Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. Brandon Halvec with Jake Lampert and Nick DeLaglio. Lafayette is a team that hasn't beaten Delaware in quite some time. 
Not one of the best opponents on this schedule, clearly. But if there is a way for Lafayette to come out of Newark with a win, and again, last week we weren't expecting the result we got either, what are the things that they need to do to come away with the win against the Blue Hens? I think first and foremost, I think they need to figure out their quarterback situation. I know that they are kind of deciding on who they want to play. Uh, they have O'Malley. He was 12 for 22 at 102 yards. He did throw two costly picks. For that. I mean, they lost 35 to 6. So I don't know if they were that costly because <laughs> it was a blowout regardless. But uh, he threw two picks. And then they brought in the backup, Northrop, who they think they – I was reading up. They said they kind of want to start and they haven't decided. So I think if Lafayette has a chance at beating Delaware, which I'm not going to say they don't, I think if they find uh, whoever whoever quarterback they decide to play, if he plays strong, I think they'll have a, a better chance against Delaware. Yeah, I'm more intrigued to see how the Lafayette defense is going to do because I'm, it feels like I'm saying the same thing that I did against Rhode Island. We look how Rhode Island panned out, but the Delaware defense is good, and I don't think that Lafayette team is going to be able to do too much damage, especially without a solidified quarterback. So if they right, can, that's one thing mm. that Rhode Island did have. They had, yeah. I mean, Lawson wasn't lighting the world on fire, but I thought he looked pretty good. Right. Um. So if you have that um against this Lafayette defense coming up against a Delaware offense that looked good, like you mentioned. Kehoe looked pretty confident. Mm -hmm. Uh, The passing attack looked better, and the running attack looked good, besides the fact that they couldn't hold the ball. Um, You need to go at that defense, and you need to slow them down enough that your offense has time to recuperate against a star defense, because you're not going to get seven points on the first drive. You're not going to get 14 on the first two. Give them some time. Let your offense do the work, and your defense will follow up. Nick, you said you liked how Pat Kehoe played in Week 1. One of the things that Jake and I had talked about last Friday on the podcast was the possibility of somebody else playing quarterback, whether that's J.P. Caruso or Darius Wade, because Coach Rocco had said before last week's game that we should expect to see multiple quarterbacks, and obviously we didn't. We just saw Pat Kehoe, with the exception of that one running play to Joe Walker. Um, coming into week two, you know, I agree, good start from Pat Kehoe in week one. To you, in your opinion, and what you've gathered leading up to this call for you guys, is there any potential that we will see one of those guys next week, or are you expecting to see four quarters of Pat Kehoe? I would expect to see at least... I I, I don't know technical... If Kehoe plays really well, and it could be a blowout in Delaware's favor, then maybe we could see another quarterback, but I think Kehoe plays the full game if it's close. Like I said, I really like how he played last week, and a lot of the mistakes really weren't on him, so I think I expect him play four quarters, unless it's a blowout in Delaware's favor, which I could also see, but you never know. I have no reason to believe that Kehoe doesn't play unless it's, like Nick said, a game like this, where it's either down to the wire each play, each play, where you need to just keep your quarterback in and keep him focused, keep him game ready. Or, and that was last week. Right, right? which was last week. Or, or if it's a situation where um, you have a two-minute drill and you want to see Kehoe do a two-minute drill, you have to put him in for that. If they're winning by a lot, I assume, I expect Cruz to come in. If they're losing by a lot, I expect Cruz to come in. Even if it's a two-touchdown game either way, I expect Cruz to come in in the third to just get him in because Kehoe did enough to convince, I think, me that he's a starting quarterback, but I don't know if he did enough to convince me that he's the starting quarterback. That's a solid point. Yeah. Another guy that we didn't get a chance to talk about last week much but could be worth mentioning here is Dejon Lee, right. who uh, I think is like seven or eight yards per carry mm-hmm. in that game. Didn't get a whole lot of touches. He's a small guy. He was getting Return beat up. Too. But yeah, he's I think he's second in the CAA through week one in all-purpose yards. Yeah. And Kanai Kane, 
you said before, would we not see him? I think he's still the guy, even without with those fumbles, 116 all-purpose yards last week. But Dejon Lee gives this team like a little extra juice, gives them a little pop, a little el- extra element there on the offense. What do you guys think of him in week one and then spinning it forward? What do you expect from him in these next couple of games? I definitely like how Lee played, and like you said, he had 7 for 61, and he had that 27-yard run, which really impressed me because he got to the outside, and he just ran, and he was not slowing up any time. Something I want to see about him going forward, maybe they can use him in like a role like maybe the slot receiver or something like that as a pass receiving back. And, you know, like we said about Joe Walker, he's the type of guy that if you put him in space, put him on a drag, put him on a slant, if he catches it, maybe he can go the distance with it because he's that type of elusive player. And like you said on the returns, maybe he gets you know, jukes a couple defenders and he gets a possible return this com- upcoming week. Yeah, I don't... When I look at Kanai Kane, I said it a lot on the call, and I just kept saying it because every time I said it, he proves me right, is if you give Kanai Kane three or four steps to gain his momentum, you need at least three defenders to take him <laughs> down. He's a machine. He's tough to take down. And what Lee kind of brings <clears throat> is that not bulldozer factor because he's quick enough to jump through some gaps, jump through the tackles, and we saw that on a few of his punt returns. I think the first punt return that they had in the second half when he cut to the sideline and almost cut to the other sideline, cutting three or four defenders out of his way. That's something that any team needs. And I like the idea of setting him up in the slot. He might be a bit too small. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that the slot receiver needs to be big, but going against most of the people on slot receivers, Pio will get guarded by a linebacker for the most part. Um, that might be a tough matchup. But I like him. I think we need to see him more. And I think you might even see two back sets because of the differences they both bring and the talents they both have. And going along with that, I've also found it fascinating that week one, we didn't see any Kareem Williams. And right. not that I'm saying we should have, because I think Kane and Dijon Lee filled those roles admirably. And we did see a little bit of Corey Sproul, but he didn't really get that many carries. But you just think back to a couple of seasons ago and how things have changed between now and then. Every year, there's a new combination of running backs to start the season. And Delaware is still amongst the best running teams in the league. You think back two years ago, Thomas Jefferson, I guess, yeah, two years ago, Mm -hmm. he's a redshirt freshman. He's CAA co-offensive rookie of the year. And Kareem Williams is the back behind him as a true sophomore who averages over five yards a carry. Now Thomas Jefferson's listed as the third fullback on this team. And Kareem Williams is the fourth running back, which just speaks to the types of players that they've been able to bring in at that position in the last couple of years. Right now, Wes Hills, who left the team before last season, is playing at Slippery Rock, put up 164 rushing yards in week one. He was the guy a couple of years ago who couldn't be brought down. He was the the maybe faster, less a physical version of Kanai Kane. Did have fumble problems as well. But I just think it's remarkable what they've been able to do at this position. And now you see it with these two new guys again. Obviously, Kane was here last year, halfway through, kind of took the job. But both of those guys, to me, very solid. I think it's very good too, because like if you're in the Delaware aspect, you can't, you can never have too many running backs, and it gives them a lot of options. I think they definitely like what they have there with Kane and Lee, and I think they should definitely keep rolling with them going to this game against Lafayette. Any other thoughts on Lafayette before we head to break? All right, they're shaking their heads now. We'll move to break, then we'll come back talk a little bit of Delaware athletics, big news for women's basketball, uh, and then we're back to the NFL Week One tonight: Falcons, Eagles. And the Blue Hens will face off against Lafayette for their second game this weekend, 3.30 p.m. Jake Lampert and Nick DeLaglio are on the call. Jake, or Jake, 
I was about to say thank you for joining me. You're going to stay on. Nick, <laughs> thank so. you for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. We have big news out of women's basketball. This was dropped last Thursday, but it actually happened earlier in the summer. And the news is that Nicole Anabosi tore her ACL and is out for the season. Last year's CAA Player of the Year, the leading scorer in the conference and for this team, she will be out all of this season. She'll have one year of eligibility left if she chooses to come back for the 2019-2020 season. But I guess she tore it earlier in the summer when she was practicing with the Nigeria national team. I don't guess that was what was reported in the news journal in early July, but it was just announced last Thursday that Nicole Anabosi out for the year with a torn ACL. Uh, we want to talk about hits to a team that's about as big as it comes. Uh, I can't think of any other Delaware sport where one player leaving the team would affect it that much. Um, Here's Nicole one. Anabosi. Bigger loss. Nicole Anabosi for women's basketball or Ryan Daly for men's basketball? Uh, Anabosi, I think, by a long shot. Because I, I think agree. when you look at men's basketball, yes, Ryan Daly's gone, but Ryan Allen and Kevin Anderson have more than enough talent, maybe not individually to fill the daily void, but more than enough combined to fill the daily void. When you look at the women's basketball team, I mean, what names are you going to pick to fill the Nicole Anabosi slot? It's tough because when we talked about this team, you get excited about some of these other players because you think about the way they can fit around Nicole Anabosi. Especially the now junior guards, both of them, really played with her well towards the latter end of the season. Right, and you'd love to see that continue to develop. Right. Because, she, you know, all that attention that's concentrated on Anabosi inherently will open things up for those shooters and drivers on the outside. And now things will probably be completely different with this offense and defense with her not out there. So, uh, Pi isn't announced, but who is, quote-unquote, officially taking her spot if it's been announced? I mean, there's there's no announcement. They actually, we actually, with the review, wanted to to talk more about it, and they said we're not talking about it. So, um, there's, a good answer. There's that. But uh, my prediction would be that your two forwards to start the season are Makeda Nicholas and Rebecca Lawrence. Last year, Rebecca Lawrence played. Rebecca Lawrence replaced I think one of the most Nicholas improved. because she was hurt. Mm-hmm. So Nicholas got an extra year because she was hurt. So she's back. Yeah. So my guess would be. Right now, at least Nicholas and Lawrence, but they also do have a couple of freshmen, Jasmine Dickey and Lolo Davenport, that are forwards, but they're not quite as big as Anabosi. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there may be more of threes and how that would work, and we'll see where Simone DeFries' progression is, if she's more of a three or a four. But I would guess right now, on paper, Gonzalez, Cargo, DeFries, Lawrence, Nicholas. That's my best guess at the moment. And last year when Coach Adair came in and Teddy and I spoke to her, uh, the first Blue Hen Sports Cage on the patio. She kind of said that she's going to reinvent the wheel. She's going to take everyone. She better reinvent it now. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> this is e- an even bigger challenge to reinvent the wheel, not no- only because you lost your wheel, you lost the whole car. Like, you lost Nicole Anabosi, who is your driving force, your talent. Um, and she did well last year. And I think that our expectations of this team are not going to be as high. In general, because Nicole Anabosi is not there. Right. Uh, but I think... And our expectations would have been higher very. heading into this season yeah. if they still had her, because this team is barely losing anything from right. last year's team that made it to the postseason. It was just Kirsten West, and then one... Um, I don't have the name. The name uh, Sears. Me. Right. 
that. Yeah, but she didn't really play. So Kirsten, Kirsten West, West had and two she, games, and yeah, one of them she was barely played either. Night. So, um, but now it's it, it's a good challenge for Coach Adair that she has to reinvent the wheel again, losing her the CAA's Player of the Year top scorer. I think she can do it. She did well last year. She's a smart, really uh, team focused minded coach. I agree. That That's she'll make it work. Yeah. I think she can make it work. Maybe not the best team in the CAA, but I don't think they'll fall uh, as much as we're expecting with Anabosi out. I think that's fair. And I think a big part of it is going to be what do the new players contribute. Right. There's a lot of reasons to be excited about the three freshmen coming in, Davenport, Dickey, and Paris McBride, all very accomplished high school players. So we'll see how they fit into the mix. They haven't had this type of touted talent maybe since I've been here. You know, Gonzalez and Cargo got some hype when they first came in, but maybe they haven't lived up to it all the way. I don't think we've seen... I don't think we're going to see anything new from Cargo and Gonzalez. I think we've pretty think, much got... You think we know what they are now? I think we've pretty much got everything that we're going to see. Maybe um, Abby Gonzalez has something new to show. Um, maybe. But I think we got pretty much everything we're going to have out of our two guards. I think Simone DeFries played better than anyone expected last year. Yeah, that was a big That was a big improvement. Like, that's not something that we sat here and were talking about last year. Yeah, she so didn't I, only play as it's going to fall on DeFries, and I think it's going to fall on Rebecca Lawrence, who has been improving almost every game since last year, uh, constantly improving, 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 uh, as she backed up uh, Jardine two years ago. Yeah, as a freshman. Kind of subbing into that role. She's gotten better, so I think those are going to be the two players to look for, and I think that the two players that Dara's going to look for, too. And here are two other names that could perhaps take a Simone DeFries-like jump from freshman to sophomore year. Lizzie O'Leary and Aaron Antosh. Lizzie O'Leary was There's more minutes out big. there without Anabosi. Yeah, she had a she had a big role there. And Antosh was not as she didn't used, really play. Yeah. But she's big. there were situations yeah. where Lizzie O'Leary came in solely for the fact that she's a physical player. She's a good physical basketball player who can fight down low, similar to what Anabosi does. Um, maybe not as definitely not as talented, but a good sub in. So I think maybe those situations where you need that, I think Lizzie O'Leary is a good fit. So we'll see. Nicole Anabosi, that's the big news, out for the season with a torn ACL. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Now we're going to take a moment and run through pretty quickly some NFL over-unders. We did get a chance to talk about some of these teams earlier on in our hot take segments, but to give you an idea of where all of these teams stand heading into the 2018 season, in our opinions, we're going alphabetical order straight through, picking over under the odds line. So this is from Odd Shark, which is one of the online websites that keeps the Vegas um, betting lines. We're going to go over and under, starting with the Arizona Cardinals, who are set at five and a half wins. Yeah, I'll take the under on that. I think David Johnson, like we talked about, is going to be a all-star, all-caliber, all-world talent. But let's be honest here. That team doesn't have enough to put more than five wins on the board. I'm going under as well. Sam Bradford's the starting quarterback heading into uh, the season. Enough said. There's, yeah, there's just not enough there for me to go any higher than that. All right, Blue Gun Sports Cage 91.3. Moving on, Atlanta Falcons over under nine wins. I'm going to take the over on that. I think the fire's lit under this Atlanta Falcons team. I almost like them to go over 12. I think the team's going to be very talented and very scary. I agree. I'm going over. I think 10, 10, 11 wins is right in the right ballpark for this team. Uh, they're they're right in the playoff picture, trying to win that tough NFC South. If not, they'll vie for a wild card. Baltimore Ravens over under. I'm surprised by this line. Over under eight wins. I'm gonna take. I was gonna take eight. I'll take the over. 
Uh, I'll say over. If, any, if anything, it goes to nine. I'm not going to say it goes more than nine. Wow. I think they're going to end nine and seven. Um, I we I just mentioned it about Joe Flacco. I think he'll give you one more year. I said Joe Flacco's done. I I think they're way under. I think they're picking in the top five. There's who else is on that offense? I, like I'm not mad at your take. Joe Flacco could be great, but I just look at that. Who else is on that offense? They got Crabtree. Uh, Crabtree. To make it interesting, they have my boy. Wasn't Crabtree done? Wasn't they, he done last year in Oakland? They got Bucky Boy in the backfield. Buck I, Allen. I love, oh, I Buck love Allen. Javorius. My boy. Javorius. He's my favorite. Moving on, Buffalo. Here's here's another team that I think will be putrid. But uh, over under six wins, Buffalo Bills. Under. Nathan Peterman. You see that hype video? Uh, enough said. I'm going under. Nathan Peterman, NFL debut last year, if you forget. Five interceptions. Uh, he's Great hype video on the Bills Twitter for Nathan Peterman. I think with all of his NFL completions in it, I'm going. What was it, like a thirty second video. Like thirty five second video. <laughs> I'm going under six wins for Buffalo. Yeah. Carolina Panthers over under nine wins. Over. I love. I. It feels like another year where I'm hyping up the Carolina Panthers for disappointment. I think Christian McCaffrey's going to be the best running back in football. Better than David Johnson, your MVP. I think he's going to be better running back wise. I think David Johnson is going to run everywhere over the field, forwards, backwards, left and right. But I think Christian McCaffrey is going to be one of the best all-purpose backs in football. I'm going under. I think nine wins is is probably perfect, but I'm going to go a little under. I think that's a tough division, and we picked our division winners a couple weeks ago. I have the Falcons and the Saints above the Panthers, so I can't put them at ten wins yeah. if those teams are going to be ahead of them. And then those teams have to have eleven and twelve, and that that math-wise might not sit well. Yeah, and they, I mean, they're all going to beat Tampa Bay, but then they have to play each other in that division. Chicago Bears over under six and a half wins. When was has this been updated with yes, Matt? Yes, this is updated. Okay, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go under. I think Max has a huge impact, but I think they were. I don't remember. You know what their over under was before Mac? If I had to guess, by four, four or five, probably. Um, I think that's where they're going to be with Kolomak. I think Trubisky has a breakout season, breakout relative to Trubisky's career as a whole, um, and then they're going to be much better next year. But I'm going to say under. I'm going over. I think they're going to be fringe wild card team. I don't think they're going to make the wild card, but they're going to be in the mix until the last or oh, second to last to week of the season. Me. So I think seven or eight wins is very realistic for the Bears. I'll go over. You're listening to the Cage on 91.3 WVD. We're picking over-unders for every NFL team heading into tonight's Week 1 matchup between the Falcons and the Eagles. We're on to the Cincinnati Bengals. Over-under, six and a half wins. over Cincinnati is a perennial seven-win, eight-win disappointment. I think they're not going to uh, stray from that. They have perhaps the best, worst quarterback, not named Eli Manning, in Andy Dalton, who has so much talent, but is just absolutely terrible when it comes to it. I'm going to go with over, but not by much. Real quick, tell me what's up with all this Joe Mixon hype. What did Joe Mixon do last year for us to be super excited about him? No, he had an extremely disappointing rookie statement. Given he was behind an almost secure backfield, about as secure as a backfield you get, maybe not the Atlanta Falcons, with Giovanni Bernard and um, Hill, now that they're not there... Well, Gio's still there. Right, but Gio's old. Hill's now with the Patriots, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a great opportunity for Mixon, but he hasn't done anything to make it warrant any hype. Yeah, I'm going under the 6.5. I think that, div- like I said a couple minutes ago, I think that division's going to be bad. And that leads us to the last team in that division, or this, the third team in that division, the Cleveland Browns, over under five and a half wins. I'm going to go under. Yeah. I, I think they're going to notch wins. I think anything <laughs> is better than last year's. Uh, but I'm going to go under. I think adding all these pieces, um, 
My only X factor is if Josh Gordon's really what we think he is, I think that win total can even be six or seven. But for the most part, I'll take the under. I'm taking under two. I think four or five. I think four or five. And that's a four or five win improvement from last year. That's a big step for them. Dallas Cowboys over under eight and a half. Mm, I'll go over. I think they're going to be the other team um, in that division that has more than nine wins, uh, them being the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they're over. I think Dak Prescott gets a lot of flack, but he's, if you look at his numbers, he's been a starting quarterback and a good one. Zeke is hopefully back for all 16 games, and that man can eat. Their only question is their number one wide receiver is either Alan Hearns or Michael Gallup. Or Cole Beasley. And I think that's enough said right there. I'm going under, but I don't think it's far under. I think it's seven or eight wins. I think eight would be my prediction. Denver Broncos over under seven. Under. I think they're going to be okay with Case Keenum. Nothing thrilling, but I'll go under. If anything, it'll be six. I think seven. I, I'm going to push. I think seven's right. I think I think they're a seven-win team, and I think they missed the wild card by two games. I think you have to be at least nine and seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll be they'll be fine. I think it's also a team. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like they deal with injuries a lot the last couple of years. They deal with injuries of they players. They feel old to me. Yeah, they're not, they don't really hurt their star players much. Demarius Thomas has always been there. Von Miller, for the most part, has been healthy. C.J. Anderson, when he was in the backfield. Peyton has been always healthy when he was on the team. But they lose those almost star players. They're linemen, they're linebackers, and they are just not a deep team. So they really can't fill that void very well. Picking over-unders here as we wrap up on the cage for the NFL, all 32 teams. Detroit Lions, 7.5 over-under. I'm going to go over. I really yeah. like that team. I love their deep threats uh, with Jones and Tate, and now they're adding Kenny Galladay, really securing him in the mix. Big questions are running back core. We yeah. still don't know who's going to start. We might, might not be LeGarrette Blunt. It could be Theo Riddick. Karrion Johnson. Karrion Johnson. It could be Zach Zenner for all we know. <laughs> Um, but it's Matt Stafford. You know he's talented, and I think the wideout core is good enough, too. I'm over. Eight or nine wins for this Lions team. They're right in the wild card picture for me. Yep. Their division counterpart, the Green Bay Packers, highest over-under we've seen so far. This line is set at ten wins. Over. I mentioned it before. Last time Aaron Rodgers came back from a season-ending collarbone injury, he was the MVP. That was in 2013. Uh, He was the MVP, and we're about to see it again. Aaron Rodgers is going to make a Solid case for MVP. Don't think he wins it. Hashtag David Johnson. But I think he makes a solid case. I'm going to push. I think 10 wins is right on. I'm going to pick 10 for them because that division's tough. I think they end up losing a couple games in the division to Detroit, maybe one of the two to Minnesota, and then even Chicago could threaten them. So I think 10 wins. I think they win the division with 10, mm-hmm. and I think they either tie or they're a game above both Detroit and Minnesota. But that when they get to the playoffs... That's the 10-win team that you don't want to play, right? Like yeah. That's the one where they're going to be a 4 or 5 seed, and you're going to be super scared to play them if you're one of the top they're, seeds. They're a 1 seed come playoff time. It's like the San Francisco Giants in baseball. When they, when it comes playoff time, the San Francisco Giants <laughs> so like, are we have 1 to, seed. We have to face Madison Bumgarner three times yeah. in this series? Yep. Forget about it. Houston Texans over under 8.5. Seems like high line to me. Yeah. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually go over. I'm going to go over on the Houston Texans. I don't really think I talked well about them, but they have Deshaun Watson. They have J.J. Watt. They are going to have Jadavion Clowney. They're going to have Whitney Merciless. And they have DeAndre Hopkins. And for some reason, people are forgetting that they still have um, Lamar Miller in the backfield. So I'm, I'm going to take the over. I think 
not by much, but I'm going to take the over. I'm taking over, too. I think nine wins is, is the right territory for them. Mm-hmm. Indianapolis Colts, over under six and a half. Over. It's Andrew Luck. If he's healthy, oh, way over. If he's not healthy with Jacoby Brisket, um, push. Love Jacoby Brisket. Real quick, better quarterback nickname, Jacoby Brisket or Jimmy GQ? It has to be Jacoby Brisket. Brisket. I'm going Brisket, too. I think the Colts are over. Jacksonville Jaguars, over under nine wins. I'll push that. Think nine straight yep. on. I'm going to go under. I think eight and eight. I think they're going to have a tough time, and they'll be they'll be fringe playoff like we've been talking about. Kansas City Chiefs are at eight and a half over under. Under. I think Mahomes is going to be very good. I don't think he's going to be enough to put up eight wins in the column. I'm going. I'm going over. I don't feel great about it though. I think nine, maybe ten wins, but it comes to this next team. Depending on what you think they're going to do, the Los Angeles Chargers over under nine and a half. Uh, I'm also going to go under with them. Uh, I said it when we talked about the hot takes. They're going to have another star injury, whoever it is. Phillip Rivers going to put up 4,000 yards. Keenan Allen's going to be a stud. But day in and day out, they remind us that they're the Chargers. They lose when it comes down to it. That's a tough line for me to take over. I'm going under. I like this team. Teddy's hot take was Chargers win the AFC, but I don't know about over 9.5. Los Angeles Rams, another team hyped up this preseason, over under 10 for the Rams. I'm going to go over. I really like the Rams, and I don't think their year two is much of a slowdown. Um, all this talk about Robert Woods, is Robert Woods going to be it? Is Robert Woods going to be it? People forget Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup, I think, is And they get Brandon Cooks, too. Right. I think Brandon Cooks is going to give you what Brandon yeah. Cooks gives you, that deep threat. But I think Cooper Cup is going to be their, stop, their star receiver. Uh, and if anyone forgot, they had perhaps the best offensive player of the year last year in Todd Gurley. I'm going over. And the division, another factor, is not very strong. So I think yeah. they get two surefire wins against the Cardinals, two surefire the wins against the Seahawks, yeah. a team that... Before they were better than, they played better than in their matchups, and mm-hmm. now they're definitively the better team. And then they at least get one from the 49ers, if not both. Yeah. So right there, you're looking at six wins in the division, maybe five. I like over for the Rams. Miami Dolphins over under six and a half. I love Ryan Tannehill. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch because he does nothing special. He's Where's the butt? Straight up boring. There's no butt. He's just straight you're, up boring. No, but, but you're going. are you going over or under? Oh, I'm going to... Um, going to go over. One team has to be the second best team in the the AFC East. I think it's going to be the Miami Dolphins. I'm going under. I don't think there's a lot of talent around Tannehill. Vikings over under 10 wins. Under, but I think they're still going to be a competitive playoff team in that division. I'm going under two. I think I'm picking nine. Like I said, Packers first, 10 and six. Mm-hmm. Vikings nine and seven. And then Detroit will control their own destiny either nine and seven or eight and eight. Patriots 11. That's the highest line we're going to see over under 11 wins. I'm going to go over. Um, sky's the limit with this team when you have Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. But I think Chris Hogan doesn't get enough value. Not that don't, not that he plays the cross. He plays the cross, but you know. he doesn't or get he enough value and, and enough talent to be that he can be a serviceable wide receiver one. And I think he's going to be very impressive. The running back core is going to be fine with Rex Burkhead. The offensive line is the only question, especially with the loss of Nate Solder two years ago. Another bad division too. There's six wins in the division already out there for them. Yeah. Over under nine and a half for the Saints. Over. I think that's the team that wins the division. I'm over two. Giants, seven wins over under. I'll push it. I'm going to push seven on the dot. Eli and OBJ do just enough to win seven. I'm pushing two. Last year, the running game was a big problem. It gets a lot better with Barkley, too. Thick Quan. <laughs> he has legs. His legs are massive. One of the Yeah, he's, he's going to have a, a Zeke Elliott, Todd Gurley-type rookie season. He's going to be big time. Mm-hmm. John, uh, excuse me, New York Jets over under six wins. I'm going to go over. I think they hit seven. I think it's going to be the Patriots with however many, Dolphins with eight, Jets with seven, and the Bills at the bottom. 
You said a moment ago somebody has to be second in that division. To me, it's the Jets. I'm going over seven with seven wins. Oakland Raiders are at eight wins over under. I think that's my favorite out of that division. I'm under. I think Cleo, I think Cleo trade hurts him. Yeah, but I think Derek Carr is going to pull off some magic. He, he's going to bounce back. Yep. Eagles are at ten. Over. I think they're going to be the best team in that division. Yep. Eleven or twelve wins for the Eagles. Steelers ten and a half. Over again. Some team has to win all those games in that division. It's not going to be the Ravens. I agree. Forty ers eight and a half. Under. I'm under. Yep. Jimmy, think, G, Jimmy G's going to be great. The Jimmy G hype, I think, is a little getting a little carried away. Yeah, going back to one great, of our hot takes, he'll be good. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if he's he's not Aaron Rodgers yet. No. Uh, Seahawks eight wins. I don't can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say under. Me too. I think Seahawks are it's over. I give the Seattle Seahawks six wins. And I think five of them come on the back of Russell Wilson. It's over for the Seahawks, in my opinion. Yeah. Buccaneers six and a half. Under without Jameis Winston, oof, that team's rough. They're going to pick first overall. Yeah. Maybe that should have been my hot take. I don't know if that's hot, but they're I under. Agree. One or two wins for this team. That's a tough division, too. Two more. Titans at eight wins. I'll push it, and if if I'm not pushing it, I'll go below. I think Mariota's good. He needs to be better. Derrick Henry's going to be nasty with Deion Lewis in the backfield, but they're throwing the ball to Rashard Matthews as your wide receiver one. You have Delaney Walker, but come on. Yeah, how long are we going to pretend that he's good? I'm going under with the Titans. But, again, another tough division. And lastly, the Washington Redskins over under seven wins. Under, they're going to be the bottom of that division, so they have to lose to both the all three teams, Eagles, Cowboys, and Giants. I'm going to go under. I'm going under, too. It's just under. I think they're six wins.